Hola, Filterinos. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. As you know, uh, this decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. We believe everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We're going to have a bunch of links in our show notes. Everybody here at Pop Filter encourages you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Ryan, I will be your host, and the year is 1982. The film is Fitzcarraldo. Tonight is a competition, that means I'm going to bring in two contestants, they will battle it out uh, to see who is the best at talking about Fitzcarraldo and talking (laughs) about my handsomeness our winner from the last episode that we scored was greg wow ryan i'm so glad to be here to talk about Fitzcarraldo and also to talk about your handsomeness i think you're just as good looking as that guy ryan greg. oh fuck <laughs> mike gets two points for that uh mike are you here as well i am here as well and i think you're you would look so much better in an all-white suit in the jungle than klaus kinski ryan Greg's getting a point for that one. (laughs) Uh, We are going up is down, left is right. We have a lot to talk about with this movie. Um, We're going to go over a lot. Well, I'll tell you guys about the plot later. We're going to go over uh, the Werner Herzog of it all. Um, And that, I think, is a lot of it. I don't know if any show we've ever done needs to have its director talked about more than this episode tonight. Um, But just overall thoughts, gentlemen, of the film Fitzcarraldo. We'll start with you, Mike. Did you like it? It's one of those where in the middle of it, it definitely had that feeling that I was like, oh, I'm going to fall in love because uh, what was the UV7 one? was the fucking submarine movie? Das Boot. Uh, this now, and maybe it's of I'm bored, but am I liking that I'm bored? <laughs> like You really are just watching these folks travel on the water for a while. And then just wrestling with like, why is it heralded? as such an endeavor and that that's why it feels like we have to talk about herzog and you have to talk about like the reality of the film but as a film yeah i liked it yeah i would I say it. is okay. how i'm at yeah i liked it greg where are you at right now it is a little hard to wrap my arms around and that is generally the highest compliment i can give something i it was compelling i was like hooked um but at the same time, a lot about it I found very troubling, you know. Um, I, I think it, it what it sort of criticizes uh, colonialism and, and it also participates in in a weird way. And so that part mm-hmm. disturbed me. But uh, I have to say, just as a just as the thing, just as the piece of art, uh, it's another one of these I had never, ever heard of it. And I felt completely engrossed. Um, it's really slow, but like it's really slow in a in a still very compelling way. Like a boat. It's obviously it's a major human endeavor, and I ultimately at the end, I think I really liked it. But there is still a lot about it that I I struggle with. But I have to just keep coming back to like 
I was into it. I really was. It 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 really engrossed me. Um, watching that boat go up a hill but come down a mountain was like, <laughs> like an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> it was was so intense um and it it just the the shots were so beautiful mm-hmm. so this unsettled feeling i have about it i think is a good thing for the movie in terms of its it's like its ability to potentially win movie of the year but i am going to know a lot more about how i feel about it when we have hashed it out as well, three bros <laughs> that that's what we don't want from movies of the year movies we like we all were marvel heads and we Love to fucking watch the newest Doctor Strange and go, hell yeah, and throw popcorn in the air. But then I don't sit there and think about it. Ever. No, don't we, generally? <laughs> and we come out of each one of those movies and we're like, that was the best thing ever. Not a movie, but that was the best thing ever. Man, what a great cartoon. And the movies that are like, I need the biggest thing of floss because how stuck in my teeth it is are yeah. the ones that. So I think uh, a huge selling point, even like already talking about it out loud, makes me uh, like it more is that how. Much I wish I had nothing to do the rest of the week so I could watch the other four Herzog Klinsky movies. And yes. that is now at like, the top of my to-do list. And, you know, uh, he made a documentary about his relationship with Klinsky. Really? Yeah. Called oh, My Best shit. Fiend. Not Friend. No, I get it. No, I get it. Fiend. Oh, I thought that was like a movie about the Nosferatu but, movie. Well, uh, okay. what's, it, what's his name? Kinsler? Uh, Klaus Kinski. Klaus okay. Kinski. He is the perfect example of how this movie kind of gets under your skin. While you are watching him act, you're like... This guy's a hack, and then you can't look away for a second, and you're like, "No, he's not." I mean, it's a little over the top, but like every part of this movie, you start questioning it. But the act of questioning it, it grabs you and it pulls you in more. Yeah, like, you don't question it and like it less. You question it and are just drawn in more. I don't know if you like it more, but you're drawn in more. It is as compelling and as human a narrative as like anything we've seen and as a film itself it is such an achievement it is such an incredible achievement is it worth it i don't know because it costs a <laughs> lot but it is such an incredible achievement let's take a break because uh more than i think any other movie that we've ever done for movie of the year i i want to start out not by talking about it but talking about how we're going to talk about it mm-hmm. nice so uh when we come back Fitzcarraldo. German filmmaker Werner Herzog, here played by comedian Paula Tompkins, wanted to make a movie inspired by a story he read about a man who moved a boat over a mountain. In the real-life story, the man disassembled a 30-ton boat and moved it piece by piece. Disassembled. Not to be outdone by a man who had never heard of him, (laughs) Werner's main character, Fitzcarraldo, was going to move a 300-ton boat and not disassemble it. You know who else was going to do that shit? Werner Herzog. <laughs> the similarities between filmmaker and subject don't end there, as the filming of Fitzcarraldo became in some ways more famous than the, f- than the movie itself. The filmed plot involves a dreamer named Fitzcarraldo who wants to build an opera house in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Strike one. <laughs> when no one wants to pay for this, Fitzy, as he's called in the Boston set sitcom remake, buys a rubber farm that boats can't get to <laughs> and solves this problem by getting an entire tribe to carry that boat up a mountain. Wanting to use no special effects, Herzog put his crew in the same danger Fitzy did. (laughs) On Movie of the Year, we typically try to discuss the movie on its own and how it affected the year it came out. But is it possible to discuss Fitzcarraldo without how it was made? Is it pointless? Are we doing the world at large a disservice by not including the comparisons to Herzog and his lead character? I just think you you have to engage with the fact that when you make a movie, you don't have to do the literal things that you are depicting. Like you can find ways to artfully 
sort of like do it without actually but like when he starts dragging that boat up the the mountain as a viewer you're like that doesn't I mean, that looks like the boat. Like, that doesn't look like... <laughs> this doesn't look like a miniature. It looks like they're dragging that freaking boat up the mountain. You don't have to do that, Werner. Right. It's okay. <laughs> and the fact is, at least one person literally died during the filming of this movie, right? And Five, other people got, I think. People got grievously wounded. People got wounded when, the, when they tried to drag the... Specifically when they tried to drag the boat up the mountain. People got messed I, up I, by that. I mean, we have the film... Heart of Darkness, right? Mm-hmm. About the filming of Apocalypse Now. And a lot of that was because their director went insane. Not that that <laughs> didn't happen here. Jesus, this guy might have been born insane. Did he just start insane? Yeah. He, just, <laughs> he delivers dialogue in such a quiet, mellow way that you, that you think he's sane, right? As insane. We are just going to take this boat up the mountain. And then when his engineer quit because he didn't want to be part of something that would kill people, Herzog said, we're going to do it anyway. Is that something that happened to Fitz Corrado as well? Uh, well, his whole crew, except for two guys, left him. So yeah. yes, it is. That's why it's Mike. so hard to to not split the. To, you have to talk about it all at once because watching somebody become their character, who I think he kind of like has like a bashful like look at that crazy guy. He tried to go for it, he failed. So have that become who you are, and no, at no point look up into the sky and be like, "Wait, am I the Fitzcarraldo?" But see, he <laughs> must have right. He must. He Mike. must have been like but doctor. I <laughs> think world. He must so he thought he clearly thought there was some value to actually be, like be like becoming the person he was. And we know this now because uh, not just because of Paul Tompkins but because of all of his documentaries that he has made himself a part of mm-hmm. unlike John Beard would do if he was making a documentary which is we know his personality and we know his feelings towards nature and we know that he is all of his characters, you know, I, I think that even with his Klaus Kinski, Kinski movies, uh, Gira and Fitzcarraldo, <laughs> that's the name of the movie I forgot, <laughs> Fitzcarraldo, uh, I still think that his most famous movie is Grizzly Men. Yes. And it's the same fucking thing of just like, n- is is nature a speed bump in your way to your dreams? Or is your dream to fuck with and overcome nature? And that's well, and, what we're always talking about here. And and poking the bear in that movie, literally, in that he, the more he talks about right. it, he does not think you can overcome nature. But he thinks isn't the only way as a human to live is to try to spit in nature's face and then come what may. Uh, he, he in, in Burden of Dreams, Mike. he talks about how Klaus Kinski thinks nature is, is this very sensual. Burden of Dreams? Burden of Dreams is the documentary about Fitzcarraldo, about the making of Fitzcarraldo, and it's definitely worth a watch. It's bananas. And the, the I think, again, the, the minute I finished this, I had to go read everything and watch everything. And so the minute I was like, oh, there's another movie? Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he is, he's like, oh, Klaus Kinski, he, he thinks nature is so sexual and sensual. He's like, I do not see that. It wants to kill us all, and that is all that it is. <laughs> like he really, he like it's he's the psychotic. least exaggerated Paula Tompkins character of all time. <laughs> um, but that's that's sort of what I'm getting at with this segment is sort of what Mike just said of the movie itself on the screen is great, but the experience I had this week of watching and reading and finding out about all of it. Are we supposed to, as critics or podcasters or whatever, untie all that? For I, this one, 
I think yes. I, 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 he went out of his way to make sure that his map of the place was the same exact size as the place. Like mm-hmm. he went out of his way to have there be no real division Brick. between the unreality of his movie and and the reality of its creation. And I mean, he took that documentary crew with him because, in part, he wanted to get that extra he layer knew. of Brick. unreality in there. And so he very Brick. purposely made the story of this, this movie's creation the very same thing as the story it depicted. So and y- so there is no, like, backing out of your... If you watch the movie, you have begun a, a, a path that you have to see the end of, and it does require outside work, which I think we have bad-mouthed other movies for in the mm-hmm. past. Like the fucking Animatrix? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, Animatrix. I don't want to watch you. But I forgot it, about that episode of And so maybe, maybe we're, like, not being very consistent here, but... I don't know. It's a path I'm happy to walk in, in this regard. I don't like, but I'm happy to walk the path to find out about it. But I'm still very uncomfortable <laughs> with the fact the the movie was made in this way. It's a weird push pull thing with it because right. you feel <laughs> disgusted. Mostly pull. <laughs> Mostly pull. But then honestly, they let gravity. They still had to push that. I thought once they got over the over the hump no. that the thing was just going to water slide down. It doesn't want to move. It weighs too much. And so they got to push that bad boy. My favorite scene is when they get to the top of the mountain. Everybody pulls out their iPhones, takes a picture of the view. And they're yeah. like, well, and then start down the mountain. For the gram. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, let's go. I love the part where uh, they use dynamite. And they're like, don't use dynamite because um, the native peoples are going to get disturbed by that. And they do. And they start walking away. And he just walks in front of them and goes like, where are you going? And they're like, they don't know how to respond to that. So they just turn around and go back to work. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I totally see what you're saying, Greg. But and we have there's so much to talk about with the movie. Uh, we're gonna spend the rest of this episode doing that. Right now, I think we we just have to give this one segment to discussing all of the world that this movie, like right. you know, everything that we have found out over the last week about this movie. I think part of like why I take it as the whole instead of just the movie itself is that this the doc came out in '82. If it came out like last year, and they're like, oh, we took that'd be so different than like that but they feel like of a piece like to fully get Fitzcarraldo you have to know the full story and him talking about the 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 boat he's like yeah I know the real Fitzcarraldo took the boat a smaller boat in pieces and did it he's like but that's not my metaphor and just over an isthmus right like I mean it's not like he didn't even have to go all the way up a mountain right he just went across land <laughs> so like yes. he made this harder in every single way and and cuz it's so he's like it, i need this shot for my metaphor so i need i can't, there there was even a slower or a lower slope he could have done that his engineer was begging him to use and he's like oh no 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 to, to really get the metaphor of the movie i need this and this is somebody who like i think 14 year old mike would love cuz it's how do you live your life as a fucking metaphor how punk rock is this shit but i also noticed bananas. that I noticed that uh, he kept saying, uh, you know, it's no, this is the metaphor. It's just a metaphor. This is what the metaphor is. And like people would be like, metaphor for what? And he would be stumped. Yeah. Like, oh, no. I don't, I don't no, know. No. What's a metaphor? It's, yeah. It's pooping. So like, I mean, uh, you know, it's the ironic thing is uh, Fitzcarraldo keeps saying, like, I'll, I will move the mountain. That's yeah. not really what he did. Though. <laughs> he, went, yeah, yeah, he went over the mountain, is the thing. But yeah, like, I mean, it, it I guess it, it is a metaphor, but like, to even begin to talk about what it's a metaphor for, I think starts watering it down so quickly. I think that's part of what he got totally right, which is that when you watch the raw reality of this thing being dragged over this mountain, like there's nothing that says it better than that boat being dragged over the mountain. Right. Like, I mean, it, the, it is the height of folly. 
It work. is an amazing human achievement. It is completely unnecessary. It is all for nothing. And <laughs> that's, art, that's baby. <laughs> that's just the beginning of talking about Mike. what this thing really is. But yeah, that's all of all the levels that you want to talk about Herzog. You know, like Greg, you were sort of uh, alluding to the fact that like he's crazy, but like a fox, right? Like that's why he had the documentary crew there. Like he's crazy, like a god of chaos is crazy. <laughs> but he's like. <laughs> It, this must be done. It yeah. must be done this way. But also, isn't it crazy? I have <laughs> to do it like this. <laughs> and, I mean, let's, like, not forget what he got out of this arrangement as a filmmaker, which is some of the most stunning shots you will ever see. It is not, he, This movie would argue right. it is not the same thing to watch a model get hauled over right. a mountain as it is to watch the actual thing. Or you can fucking feel the weight of this thing. Dunked in, uh, on a waterfall, like... There was three boats, right? The filming boat, the carry the boat, and then the one that they just shove off and be like, oh, fuck, uh, uh, boat's in the rapids now. Yeah, dude. And that one, you would think, definitely use a model for that one, right? Well, no, we'll build three boats so we have one to trash in the rapids. Well, the, yeah, the, and they, the actors were on it, and the, like it was such a, a tight crew, so when a camera person inevitably gets hurt in the first shot of the rapids hitting the wall, uh, it's Klaus Kinski who is wrapping their wounds because there's like four people on this boat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody who <laughs> likes to fuck nature wrapping my wounds. No, that would be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that he was like, Klaus, you should have come out earlier because the shot would have been better. And he's like, but I would have also been then been crushed by the wall. And he's like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> right, Klaus. Well, I, I have heard, uh, I have heard, and this sounds like like an apocryphal thing, but I no, have dude, heard this story is true that at the like, uh, Klaus was so awful that at the at, at the end of filming, the chief of the native group that helped them was like. Sue Werner Herzog, like, by the way, like, I'm a chief, so I could just, like, if I could have this guy killed if you want. And <laughs> Werner Herzog was like, eh, no, <laughs> better not. But, like, nobody would ever know what happened to that dude if this guy had, like, if he had agreed to it. And that might have been a very interesting code. It'd be like, hey, did you hear that a short time later he actually disappeared? Let's make a Tarantino-style reimagining. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, no, I mean, like, if you act like this in public... You know, there should be some consequences. I don't know if it's death, but like the way that he allegedly acted on the set, you know, is legendary. I want to know. I believe the story. I want to know what Kinski or I'm sorry, what Herzog's exact reaction was. Like, how long did he go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet, honestly, I bet he was like, on one level, I would love for Klaus to be killed. But on another, he, who then would drive me to the next heights of perfection? Do you know why he said no? <laughs> I don't want it to be done by man. I, it, right. It's gonna be done. It should be done by nature. It should be done by a bear. We'll send them into the forest with bears. <laughs> <laughs> it's too fun to talk like Bernard. That, that's what's so interesting. So yeah, yeah, it's very fun. Let's just all embrace that. We're gonna keep doing it. That Herzog is very Fitzcarraldo. Klaus Kinski, even though he's playing Fitzcarraldo, like watching. I think the level of sympathy and empathy he like he's doing something foolish and it's hurting people and you're like but this crazy little weirdo he's gonna do it and i i kind of want to hug him but the <laughs> real class kinski is a fucking monster yeah, <laughs> imagine how hard it was all the things we've talked about that made this movie so hard to make and then there's one person acting like a piss baby non-stop <laughs> so it's always hot people are getting sick there's snakes everywhere people are getting crushed by the boat and on top of that somebody is acting like an absolute piece of shit 24 7 there's a part in burden of dreams where uh after all of the shit that they have been through um klaus kinski has to eat out of a bowl that somebody spit in yeah and even oh, yeah. that is that's a, a f- for real drink that they make that's a fucking it's a tantrum that happens and uh, like the amount of 
you would think that if you're Klaus Kinski, I don't know why I would think this. Maybe it's because he has a European accent, but uh, you would just Irish be, brogue. You would just be down for just getting dirty and crazy and doing do whatever. it right. Here we yeah. are in the middle of the jungle. Like, let's do it. It's We're all year a five. Team. We're trying all to make this <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've been Mick Jagger has come and gone. <laughs> We've been working on this movie since the mid seventies. <laughs> Let's just get it done. And he goes full diva, and he's like, "Oh, absolutely not. Will I do that?" You're Klaus Kinski, man. You look the way you do. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to finally, because it's 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 only right to talk about the hot girls of 1982. <laughs> Mount Rushmore. You know what that's all it means? It's Rushmore time. Instead of doing presidents, because we would all have the same president, uh, Joseph, what's his middle name? Rokemore? Robin. Isn't it like Robin Day? Oh, isn't Robin? it like Robinette or Robin something? Robinette. Robin Ear. Uh, our squintiest president. We would do it for Biden because we're all dressed in Biden gear. We've got our Biden hats on. We just love Biden. Let's go uh, Biden. Man, really who sad. doesn't love Joe Biden? Diamond Joe. Uh, we're going to do it to something else. The last episode, Fast Times episode, we did Hot Boys of 1982. Yes, it is only fair. I don't want, we, like. We can't look misogynistic. We have to do it for the hot yeah. girls of 1982. We heard as you. Well. We listened. We learned. We shut up. The we're doing it. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, so it's time to put women on a pedestal. <laughs> um, as usual, uh, there is a secret special one that will get uh, a couple extra points. But guys, we've only got four heads, and there's a lot. Of Sexy Ladies from 1982. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike, you are the loser. So, no, you know what? It was recently your birthday. That's why you're going first. Oh, damn. I thought he was doing something else where he was going to take it from you and give it to me. Wait, you lost? Why should you go first? (laughs) (laughs) That's communism, loser. It's. I mean, that's how sports drafts work, right? Like, man, you were so fucking terrible. Here, why don't you take the best player? (laughs) (laughs) You guys are so bad. Here's a young guy who's pretty good at what you do. Maybe he'll help or something. I, I Let's get this right out of the way. Why not? It's Phoebe Cates. Shit. Shit. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Mike. Now, Sean Penn, I believe, made <laughs> Boy Mountain much to Greg's chagrin. I don't think Greg understood that pick. But uh, that was because I had a lot of options and I didn't know what to do and the segment was over. Yeah. Phoebe Cates is just the slammiest dunk of slammy dunks. Imagine we constructed this mountain of attractive ladies and we didn't have like the most one of the most iconic like attractive lady scenes of all time takes place in one of the movies and we just talked about it and then we don't put her on the mountain come on we get arrested not gonna happen it's not gonna happen this is not phoebe the phoebe that's not what we're gonna be like right now we're gonna be like phoebe kate if you don't know what phoebe the phoebe is from wait for mike's recommendation later in the show and he will explain <laughs> yeah, it just to check you. my hat guys <laughs> <laughs> uh, a common mic refrain greg phoebe kate is on there do you want to also do phoebe kate or somebody else uh, I want to do somebody else, but it's certainly Phoebe Cates adjacent. Uh, Phoebe Cates obviously is what is stitched or seared into our minds from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But there's also an actress named Jennifer Jason Lee, who's also in the movie, also very attractive, and also made a big impression on men um, and people attracted to ladies all across, <laughs> all across the country. So Jennifer Jason Lee. She was 14 in the movie. But we t- talked about. She was 16 in the movie, wasn't she? No, she was a freshman. That was her freshman year of high school. Kids. She was probably 15 or 16. Honestly, have sex in college. Yeah. That's like, 
Wait until you get to college to have sex. She, why is she a freshman there's, in high school? There's no sexual experience that I had guy? in high school that I'm like, yeah, remember that. <laughs> I have, and I have to say this, probably especially for straight ladies, right? Like there is probably nothing for you in that arena with high school boys or with 26-year-old boys in the dugout college. I mean, first of all, getting dug out is a good way to, that's a good euphemism for sex. Uh, I followed that rule i didn't have sex till college i haven't had sex since college it's just <laughs> sex in that's college. why you keep talking about going back to school <laughs> i gotta go back guys <laughs> i feel i feel icky i gotta go back that is a good pick i'm gonna put it on the maybe pile for I now thought that might happen mike just because i'm a little nervous she looks so young even if mm. she was of 20, age. mike what do you got uh this might be too yeah, she's older than phoebe cates in that movie so now who's a creep up my specific alley, but uh, uh, a little punk rocker didn't care about her damn reputation in 1982, uh, and she just loved rock and roll. It's Joan Jett. Mike, I have Joan Jett on my very short list. I this, I mean, you want to talk about sexiness? Uh, yeah, Joan Jett was the queen of this entire what? year, and not from movies on not a from movies. Called movie of the year. The 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 balls on this one. Sexiness <laughs> goes everywhere, guys. Not just movies. Sexy, jet on the mountain. Sexiness is stored in the balls. <laughs> That's why women can't be sexy and they're so angry about it. Greg, I already have two spots on. I so know. Yours is going automatically to the baby pile. What do you oh, got? I'm getting housed. Okay. Um, is it the women who were hot in 1982 or is it the women from 1982 were hot? Move over, everyone. My wife, Kelly, was born in 1982, and I can say this without exaggeration. She is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. 1982 brought us Kelly, that, my wife. That feels like the baby's mountain. Right now, you're fucking gross. Yeah. So maybe I should hot-ass baby? Maybe. I mean, no. She was a baby. Um, but, uh, you know. Not, Mike, it's your turn. Mike, not an <laughs> ugly baby. Go, All right, I'm gonna stick with uh, movies now, uh, and that ones we have covered. Sean Young, man, Sean Young. If she hadn't lost her mind, she probably could have been hot for a lot of years. But because she did, 1982 is what we got. I know I bring this up on every episode of the season, but have you guys been listening to Karina Longworth's Erotic 80s? I'm still in episode one. Oh, no! One. Has it been good? It sounds like it would be good. So good. And Sean Young is played to be the absolutely insane person that she is but also totally right like mm -hmm. just totally fucked over by hollywood uh please listen to that that's the thing they fuck you over and it does make you get cracked a little bit right and then they're like see this person's a weirdo and it's like no but because i am being persecuted it's making me a little strange but you're fucking me over that's a i think that's a strong contender mike on the maybe pile for right now uh but blade runner yeah just uh in a movie full of babes uh, Ethereal command, yeah, commands the scene in like a really like 1940s Hollywood way. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, such a large part of the film noir f uh, feeling of that movie. Greg, okay, <sighs> okay, here we go. Uh, she had just been in a movie called Ten, uh, and in 1982 she appeared in Playboy. She is Bo Derek. One of the prettiest, sexiest women of all time back when that was still legal. Now, if you are exactly our age, I will explain. Which I am. That she is Rob Lowe's, not mother, yeah. but girlfriend in Tommy Boy. 
Yeah. Holy shit. The famous line, Dad, is that for me? <laughs> no, son. <laughs> that's for me. It's a person, though. It's, it's Bo Derek. It's a, it's a human person. objectifying her. And uh, <laughs> going back to Karina Longworth, you must remember this, that first episode of Erotic 80s. Man, I learned so much about Bo Derek and how fucked up her life was. Yep. The, I mean, like, really did a number on women in the 80s. Just awful, awful shit. Um, yeah, like, were the 80s, like, an erotic time or an exploitive time? Well, if you just watch the movies on the surface level, it's like, yeah. wow, this is kind of sexy. If you find out what happened to get those movies to yeah. be like that, yeah. uh, just terrible. Just terrible. Although, Karina Longworth, a little bit biased, right? She's always like, oh, they treated women wrong. All right, Karina, settle down. I'm sure there's <laughs> another side to the story. I'm sure they were actually pretty nice. Can we Let get me look a at dude the details in here, here to maybe represent? No, this is bad. This is bad. No, okay. You got, you got him on this one. All right, that is a good one, Greg. Yeah, Mike, what do we got? Uh, I, I know <laughs> that you guys don't like the movie, and that's fine, but the bebanged haircut and banging body of Michelle Pfeiffer in Grease 2 in a leather jacket. She doesn't want to be a pink lady. She wants to wear her own black leather jacket. She's so fucking smoking hot. She climbs a ladder, and you can see it is her audition for Catwoman 10 years early. <laughs> do you know the... The uh, link between that one, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Sean Young. Young. Yes, I do. That was the, <laughs> the mind losing I was talking about. Is uh, She wanted to be Catwoman in Batman Returns so bad. She oh, bought her yeah. own Catwoman costume and showed up on a late night show in character, I assume, and definitely in <laughs> costume. That's one of those things that, like, if it had worked, which probably there's no universe in which it does, right? Obviously. But if it had worked, that would be such an epic story. And the thin line, Fitzcarraldo, between genius and absolute <laughs> madness, really, like, you have to be crazy to do something genius. And it just didn't work out for her. Greg, I have four maybes. Let's, uh, you do one more and then we'll go to speed round. Okay. Carrie Fisher. Uh, Carrie Fisher was Princess Leia. And although I don't think any of the Star Wars movies uh, were in 1982, uh, we still were sort of reeling from three solid movies of one of the most beautiful women of all time. Okay. Uh, speed round, Mike. Kim else? Cattrall. Again, we don't like Porky's Fuck Porky's, but Kim Cattrall in 1982, Smoke Show. Greg. Goldie Hawn. Mike. Uh, I'm out. Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. Interesting. All right. So Phoebe Cates and Joan Jett are on there. I am going to say that joining those two are Sean Young, right? I mean, Mike, that was we talked about her a lot and she deserves it. I think this is going to be the thing that she's going to be like, finally, so I have some recognition. I'm on their mountain and I'm going with Bo Derek. You're. Babes of 1982 are Phoebe Cates, Joan Jett, Sean Young, and Bo Derrick. Lots of dude names. It, girls having dude names is hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Get like a Dylan or a Tyler. Wearing oh, a suit. Hello. <laughs> let's not dig deeper into this. Yeah, let's let's get out of here. When we come back, more of Fitzcarraldo. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic and perhaps... We have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Gentlemen, we've danced around it, but now it's time. 
I don't know what you guys are typically looking for in performances. You know, um, I know there's the Oscar sort of thing, which is big, melodramatic. You should probably be somebody who lived in real life. Um, but on other shows, with other award shows, it's like performances have to be this particular thing. That's not what we got from this movie. Um, people say that Herzog is a filmmaker of ideas more than story. No one says anything about him as a director of performances. We'll get to the whole cast as an ensemble, but we gotta start. We gotta start with Klaus Kinski. What do we make of this fool? At first, you, I, and I said this earlier, at first I think you're like, ooh, this performance is a swing and a miss. It's a big swing, and because of that, it's a big miss. But you know, it's not that you stop feeling that way. It's just you realize... Oh no! This guy's crazy mm-hmm. aspect is what he's going for, and this like wild-eyed, like hair going in every which direction, and then just like screaming from the bell towers. After a while, you realize no, this is how he is intending to portray this guy. And by the middle of the movie, I was enwrapped. Like it, it was like watching a, a dance routine or something. His his. I know he was an asshole, but I think the reason. Herzog kept going back to that well is this guy is giving you something that like you respond to as a viewer on almost a primal level I think like, and like I think we could tell when like people are like oh you've been to years of acting school mm-hmm. and so you act like this and then there's this like innate thing that only he was born with yeah. that I do I wonder could that sink a movie Mike and could I, it or could it make a movie like go way above a mountain. A mountain. <laughs> if if he was going to play like I'm in a Duplass Brothers movie and I'm just a guy who works at a job and this whole movie is about moving a chair across a highway, I don't think it would go Mike. as well. I, I I think, but because he's playing somebody who's manic and has bananas out there ideas, it works because he is probably that. Like I, it'd be very interesting to see how close Cl- Clint's what was it. Klaus Kinski. Sorry, Klaus Kinski is to Fitzcarraldo. Like he's also out there and big, and you can see the. He's clearly crazy, but you can see the charisma there. Like why some That's, people would follow I him th- so hard. That that charisma word is so important, I think, because there's a lot of psychopaths, and I do think that we can put him on that list that would do terrible at acting. Mm-hmm. You should absolutely not cast in your movie. In fact. Uh, but I, uh, this works in some strange way. Are Herzog and Kinski separatable? Like, are they like? Do you think that they need each other? Yes, we have, I. We, yeah, we haven't yeah. seen any other Kinski performances. I haven't but. either. But if you would go bring this guy deep into the woods with you, the only reason Werner Herzog would even consider doing that is because there is something that he gets out of. Klaus and Klaus gets out of him mm-hmm. and there is a synergy there that comes from their loathing of each other yes. like in, in as a powerful force I was thinking about this about the Work. movie um, Us ultimately the movie Us it, it, I think it's about how like there are things that you can't achieve with love that you can achieve with hate you can't achieve hands across America with love but you can do it with destructive hate I think, or I think you we've can't seen achieve a, with safety do that so, so I, I think that's what this movie is also kind of about. There's things you can only achieve with madmen. Mm-hmm. And th- I read a book recently. I can't remember the name of it is now. It escapes me. But right. basically arguing that all leaders are neurodivergent in a couple different ways, but how often great leaders are insane because they're the people at the fire fest that say, let's, let's just do it and be well, epic. 
And then right. when it works, they get the credit for it. But only a madman would say, let's try to pull off Firefest yeah, and have it work. To, and when to, it doesn't work, we don't hear about them. To believe you exactly, can yeah. lead a nation of, what are we, 400 million, like, and do it well. Yeah, you have to be insane. Nobody wants, like, I think the person who would do really well would be like, please don't make me do this. I do not want to have this job. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, that's an old adage or something where it's like, all right, who wants to be in charge? And when somebody raises their hand, you should be like, fuck you. The guy Abs- two seats You're the one that him. absolutely will not be in charge. But, like, think of... Um, Think of Steve Jobs. Like, all he did, his genius was asking the impossible of people, mm. and then they went and achieved it. But he had, like, such power over them that he could actually inspire them to do it. And compare that to Elizabeth Holmes, who just tries to do the same thing. All She, she tried to do the same thing, just ask for the impossible, and maybe somebody will deliver it. Fitzcarraldo, he asks yeah. for the impossible, and it's delivered. And so the performance has to contain all... Not just his greatness, but it also has to contain this wild manic energy that we are first, even as viewers, but also people around him within that universe, repulsed by, but ultimately very much motivated yeah, by, one, ultimately one the, like brought in. One of the like right. the normie investor, invader guys, colonizers is the word I'm looking for, uh, does not like Fitz for a while, but then he backs with all the money. Because he hangs out with him long enough to be like, God damn it, this crazy bastard might. He's got something. Plus that guy he's gets got the like, charm. his kink is losing might. money, so that might be part of it too. Dude. Yeah, we. I mean, we'll talk in the next segment about the feeding fish money and all of that kind of stuff. But the, Klaus's performance as Fitzcarraldo, does it sort of back up what we were talking about in the first segment of, is this even a movie? Or is this just like some sort of weird experience where I never forget that he's Klaus? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like he's falling into the role. It's just that the, all of this shit, like, you had to have I mean, Klaus to be Fitzgerald. You had to have Werner Herzog do this movie. Like, does it all fold into each other? Yeah, and the contrast between, I think, expanding the other performances, so many of them are naturalistic and mellow in, in really, I, I think, great ways that it works. Uh, that the, the the these two colors are next to each other, and just his bananasness seems even crazier because everybody else is just like, I don't know if we should do that. I guess we're gonna do that, like, or getting simmering angry. But everybody else is playing at such like a talented f- five volume level, so his eleven hits even harder. Okay, so let's get into Mike. some of the supporting characters. Then we have um, Molly, mm-hmm. his sort of mistress slash benefactor, uh, head of a brothel, madam. Um, we've got, uh, his, like, when you have a crew on a ship in a movie or uh, any large crew, then you will know the names of like three, right? Yeah. And so we have Cholo and the cook. Cholo is a giant man. Uh, just towers over everybody. And I don't know what his job is other than to be big. He like his works down in the boiler room and is a spy for the the rich guy who sells him the boat. But he's always, he's that guy in the boat who's like, always like, give me a wrench. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Hand, me, hand me some tool. And he's he the keeps guy who, a boat running. He keeps a boat running, and he also feels like he keeps uh, fits in line as much as one can. Because when he's going to go real off the deep, and he's like, I, I look at me, I can murder you. And he's like, yeah, oh. And, uh, like, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of things of, like, money rules, but also so do I, because I could fucking beat the shit out of you. Uh, we have a cook who is uh, drunk all the time and proud of it. Um, and then we have the captain who is... A different sort of white guy scared around all of these people of color. Also Dutch, which right away you're like, oh, that guy's a colonist for sure. He has it in his blood. (laughs) Um, Did these performances seem 
out of touch or normal? Like, did these sort of seem like, uh, yeah, no, we'll just throw them against Klaus Kinski. There is one weird thing that I think we have to address when we address the performances, which is, I guess because this is going to be like a foreign language movie, they were going to overdub all the lines anyways into German. And so... Like they don't like film audio on location in this movie, right? They like they overdubbed all of it. Like I don't, I don't think there was a single boom mic. On yeah. The set. Okay. So some people like did a better job at this than other people. Mm. I really like the performance of the cook. Yeah. But whoever did the cook's voice clearly just decided not to sync up their line delivery to the cook's like lips moving. So that was a big choice. And the the Dutch captain also really struggles just to like do the the overdubbing correctly and his performance was flat for me like absolutely just monotone almost but in a movie like this i don't know but in a movie like this would you be that surprised if they just went and got a fucking ship captain like we need somebody to actually yeah and he has the look boat. man he has yeah. the look of a captain but and in the documentary burden of dreams uh not a fan of shirts I noticed. Oh, really? <laughs> no, just always, man, I love tits I, out the entire time. As a as a fat guy who like literally like would never take his shirt off for any reason, ba- almost like basically a never nude just from the top up. Uh, <laughs> I always down. You are. Unfortunately, I'm one of those dudes. Yeah, uh, but like I would never under any circumstances take off my shirt for any reason. So when I see another big dude who just will, and he's like oh, like got that real deal with it energy. Oh, I'm, man, I love a, a, I do. A chubby I love king. it too. It's like. Hey, everyone knows that I'm overweight, but I do think that there's like no. Uh, I think with my t-shirt on, nobody can tell. I think everybody thinks I'm a pretty thin guy. <laughs> I agree, Greg. Yeah, I'm small. Mike, did you, did you, what did you think of the cook performance? I, I liked the cook performance a lot, and he is the only one who went big, but it was in a different way than Fitz. It wasn't as big. He wasn't competing, but it was like, yeah, I think to be just along for the ride, even as somebody's like shooing your wives or mistresses away like you're also going to be out of touch with reality i think he captured that very well without being a cartoon about it how about the guy that worked at the defunct rail depot uh, i was broke like my heart i'm pretty sure this is offensive but i feel like this is offensive in different like non-complimentary ways <laughs> like I'm, i think i'm just supposed to feel offended on some level but like he had the closest to what sounded right. like uh, like an old racist cartoon right. like accent to his voice. Uh, there are all these little things where... Well, plus being in a uniform like that. Yeah. And like almost like uh, stepping to the... Like, yeah, when the right? white person comes on, it's like... There's the white person. I, f- I, I felt like there was... A- that's what I mean. Like So, like, like it, the, the accent seemed off, and then the character seemed like a character more from, like, like again, old white cartoons... Also, it, it it seemed like it alluded to. I don't remember the line exactly, but it's like uh, Fitzcarraldo has been gone for like six months, and in that time, he has four kids. One of them's ten. Like that's just what he's been it's gone weird for be- years. They, they, well, they did say here's a weird thing. Okay, so uh, another weird thing about the movie that we talked about, but have not addressed. We talked about personally, but have not addressed on the show is if you watch the movie with the subtitles on, it tells a very it tells a slightly different story. So he in the movie's like I've been gone six months, and then in the subtitles it says I've been gone six years. Mm. And that's, that's a big one, dude. And that's why that guy can have a whole family, right? And it's it's even more absurd than that he has stood his post. Right. And also, it, is that racist that he just stood there? Like he just everybody left and said this thing has gone bankrupt, and he stayed there for six years not getting paid. I kind of felt like that was supposed to. I don't know. I I didn't feel comfortable with that part of it either. Yeah, I mean, like, is it is it racist? I mean, but it's believable, though. Like, it's believable, right? That, like, you would put these people 
into like your pocket in such a way where they're completely reliant on you. And, and I guess that's just, what like, the message is. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I I guess that's the, ultimately what the message is. I didn't see the movie as racist in that way necessarily. Uh, Fitz is. These are not people. These are tools. And this is like because people are like, look at his genius. Look at that. But to do that, you are stepping on people's necks. And for Fitz, I guess it was the way that it seemed like he could not comprehend. That he would just stand his post for six years. Right. I, it felt like, and then even after Fitzcarraldo leaves, it's like Fitzcarraldo has told him, this is not yeah, a not thing anymore. Back. Like, yeah. I'm on to the two things from this. And the guy still doesn't seem to get it. Yeah. I I just, I, I wasn't sure. I, that was one of the least comfortable parts of a pretty uncomfortable movie for me. Well, I would love to ask you guys what you thought the best performance was, but that's actually a later part. Of it's in a war. Yeah. So we're going to take a break. Then. And oh, when we come back, our good friend Descripto the Magnificent. <gasps> oh, yeah. What have you been up to? Here to talk to us about the films of 1982. All right, gentlemen, you know our friend Descripto the Magnificent. He goes by many names on the internet. Um, if you see somebody like uh, Fuck Movie 69696920 leaving a review on Amazon, that might just be Descripto. The Magnificent. It's a hilarious screen name. We're in a game show, so I am going to read a review by Descripto. You guys have to wait till I'm done, ring in with your name, and then guess which movie I'm talking about. Yes. Are we ready? Yes. We are ready to go. Number one. Yeah, the cops were awful, but Blank is actually kind of a bad guy, too. He instigated the fight with the cops by arrogantly coming back into a town that didn't want him there in plain view of the cop. He refused to cooperate with the cops inside the office, even refusing to give his name and a fingerprint. One star. Greg. Mike. <laughs> okay, that, that's, I mean, in the easiest game show decision of all time, that was Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, first Blood. That is First Blood. Also, Descripto's a bit of a bootlicker. I love reading current reviews of movies that are like, these fucking cops have the right idea, man. <laughs> What's this guy even doing passing through town? <laughs> they said he didn't they didn't want him in that town. He should leave immediately. All right, number 2. Great movie. An 80s classic and an inspiration to Stranger Things. But wrong aspect ratio. The movie should be 235 to 1 and the version here is cropped to 185 to 1. <laughs> 1 star. Mike. Greg. Greg. What? ET? Incorrect. Mike. Mike says it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> Incorrect. It's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Get your shit together. You should be at 235 to 1 ratio. Is that a huge influence on Stranger Things? I think just like 80s cinema was, so. There's children in it, I guess. Uh, number three. Blu-ray disc does not work for Rocky 1, 2, and 3. DVD for Rocky Four is defective, but Blu-ray for Rocky Four is good. One star, Mike. Mike, Rocky Four, incorrect. Greg, Greg. Rocky Three. Rocky Three yeah. is correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> uh, next one. I've seen this movie a lot, a lot of times. I wanted to buy this movie to show my girlfriend what the '82 blank looked like before we saw the new blank, but. I don't love her this much. $200 to buy a 200 worth of movie? Ridiculous. One star. <laughs> 200 worth of movie? What? Uh, Greg. Greg? Blade Runner. Incorrect. Shit. As I said that, I was like, you're so smart, Greg. Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> Mike? The Thing? Incorrect. It's Tron. 
Oh, man. Forgot Tron. about Tron. Y'all forgot about Tron, because that's the <laughs> new one, right? Yeah. Uh, that's why I thought Blade Runner. Also, uh, you shouldn't love Tron, but you also should not love Tron Legacy. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, bro. No, but you should love the Tron Legacy soundtrack by Daft Punk, or the Tron Legacy soundtrack remix, also by Daft Punk. Next one. Thought it was a concert, watched it once, would give it to a friend who likes it. One star. Thought it was a concert, watched it once. Mike. Mike? Burden of Dreams. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Pittsburgh? We're burning of dreams, and we're here to rock! Greg. Greg. The Wall. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, that makes sense. Greg. That was one where I could tell that if Ryan told me what the answer was and I hadn't said it, I was going to have like a little meltdown. And so I was like, well, what movie would that be? And I was like, The Wall! Okay. Don't give Mike strategy. <laughs> In one right, here ear, out the other. Don't worry. This was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> the plot was cliche and shallow. The world was gross and bland. There is no redeeming quality to this. It's sad to say, considering Jim Henson has worked on things as amazing as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. One star! Mike. Mike. The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal. Man, what has Jim Henson done? Oh, Ninja Turtles. That's what he's famous for. Oh, yeah. The Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Okay. The teenage Uh, ones? Next one. All horse violence in this film is missing or severely cut down. Two stars. Someone didn't get enough horse violence. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> from movie? the actual version that came out in theaters, had a ton of horse violence. A and ton of not. horse violence. Hmm. Horse <laughs> violence. My. I think, yeah, like, I am so wrapped up in this weird phrase, horse violence. Like Blazing Saddles, right? <laughs> the like, violence, <laughs> like, done by, I, I assumed at first done no. too, but now I'm like, no, done, done by. by. I'm going to A couple I'm of horses guess. grabbed a shotgun from their trunk. <laughs> if a Mike. horse hurts you, I like. 48 hours. It's not 48 hours. There should have been more horse violence than that. I don't have a guess. I'm sorry. There must. Be, I can't even come up with a horse-based movie. Horse Camp. Ryan, did Horse Camp come out in 1982? Oh, I forgot about Horse Camp. It didn't. And a you know shout that, out right? to our show seven years ago or whatever. Oh, I forgot about the movie Horse Camp. We How all could for- I forget about the movie Horse Camp? I, y- y'all forgot about Horse Camp. <laughs> all right, last one. No, what was it? Oh, Conan the Barbarian. Of course. Uh... Purchases as an addendum to social studies instruction over world cultures. They were not entertained and did not care about the characters. One possible solution to this issue would be to take some of these old movies with educational value and splice in some bloody ninja sword fights to keep the kids' attention. One star. (laughs) Mike. Mike. The reason for the season fits (laughs) Corraldo. I wish it had more bloody ninja fights, but no. Greg. Greg. Das Boot. Das Boot is incorrect as well. Uh, what's the movie that needs more bloody ninja fights the most? It's Gandhi. Gandhi is the correct <laughs> answer. Thank you, Descripto, so much for coming in tonight and helping us out. Uh, when we come back, more about Fitzgeraldo. Hola, Filterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you can pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over patreon.com slash your pop filter 
While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Gentlemen, we sort of did uh, pound for pound performance in the last segment, so let's just move to cringiest moment. What is watching 1982's Fitzcarraldo like with 2022 eyes? Is this the 80s version of the man who would be king, or is there something more going on here? I, a lot of just oh no, there's white people going in. This makes me feel uncomfortable. And knowing everything we do about Herzog himself, there's there's cringes there. But I think because of the end, and because of the line. Look, they have a legend about a white man, a white god in a boat. They don't think you're a god. Already that line, I was like, okay, they don't think he's a god. And by the end, that they were using him the whole time, and they're like, we're going to get this guy so fucking drunk after we help him, and then we're going to do what the fuck we want to this boat. I think that's why it is felt not racist in a way a lot of other movies would. Yeah, I mean, when he says to, I think it's to Cholo, like, how come they're doing this? Like, why would they be so upset and then leave? And then, cause that's what happens. Like they get upset about the conditions and the native people leave and then they like come back. And for a while they're like, are they going to kill us all? And then instead they just go right back to work. And that's the moment where it's like, you think maybe the movie is being its most racist. Mm-hmm. And then it's because they have to figure, they figured out that what they need to do is get this boat over the mountain, steal it, use it to purify the rapids down river and so the whole thing gets refigured as them using these weird, creepy white folks. Right. And that really, like, that is super redemptive. And also the another major difference is the men who would be king, like, they were making fun nonstop of, of like, uh, native peoples. They were making fun nonstop of, like, these other ways of life. And kind of, like, we were watching these white guys dunk on them over and over and over again. Whereas in this movie, you spend the whole time being like, these are not good. <laughs> like looking at the. At, right. at, 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 and so, so we didn't have. I mean, work. it's part of the problem that uh, we had fucking Sean Connery and Michael Caine, superstars of 1975 in this movie. Like and they were doing. But here we have Klaus Kinski, who was like almost automatically root against bull. Yeah. I mean, when, when he when he goes and stands on the top of that bell tower and locks himself in the church and he says, I will not come down until you build an opera house. <laughs> obviously, like he looks seems like a child there. His dreams seem stupid. He, and it's like, obviously, he is not the like moral center of this movie. And I don't know that they were supposed to be the moral center of the movie and the, and the men who would be king, but we are supposed to root for them in a way that I think we're not supposed the, to root or at for least be charmed by them. The movie is on their side in the men. Yeah, who would be totally. King. Yeah. And I would not say the movie is on Fitzcarraldo's side in this, because this is inherently about He's heating up! look at his downfall. Mike. And because he does treat uh, his crew, uh, the natives, uh, pretty disdainfully, but he also treats everybody who's in his class pretty disdainfully. All he cares about is the boat. Yeah. He, the only reason he likes Molly is because she's like, yeah, I love your crazy little dream, and here's some money to go have it happen. Like, oh, and c- man. And because she's so hot. She, yeah. This is a uh, Cardinal. Is, yeah. Uh, this actress. And, Italian actress. Uh, if 
I would take some Molly is what I will say about her. I uh, meant to I meant to try to get her on the mountain of, of beautiful that women. Worked, right? That would have worked. I spent a lot of this movie just being like, she's so pretty. Why is she bad? <laughs> pay attention to what's going on in the movie, big guy. You got to talk about it later. I think that I liked the man who would be king more than you guys did. And I, th- I do think that they were punished. I called it disgusting. More than I think that they like the movie took them to task more than you guys thought that it did. I want to bring up a couple scenes in Fitzcarraldo. Um, one is where uh, Fitzcarraldo's in jail in the very beginning, and then it cuts to uh, some like natives that are also in prison, and it is sort of played for laughs. Like that cut is, along with the time where um, the uh, Fitzcarraldo hands the leader a block of ice, and he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "This is gonna melt." Are you sure he's gonna like this? And the the leader has the block of ice and there's almost like a record scratch and then everybody stops and looks at the ice and then the third scene i want to bring up is the dinner where the uh natives have uh gotten on the boat and have surrounded them and they're all at dinner just looking around being like shit these people are weird isn't Aren't there scenes where it's sort of edited or played for laughs? Okay, maybe. But there are also a lot of scenes where the native tribe looks at each other like, who the fuck are these yeah. people? There's so many times where like they almost office Work. style. They don't really play with <laughs> the camera. But like there are times where, like honestly, they will just widen their eyes a little bit. And it's like, no, they get how goofy these people are. Like They get it. Especially because this, this tribe in the movie... Other people are saying how scary it is. You don't go to them, they're going to fuck with you. So there's an instant fear. So they like they have more control than they're being stepped on. And then like when they're on that boat, and yes, the people eating dinner are like, these guys are crazy. And they do the pan flute dance, and the one guy gets in his face over and over yeah, again. Dude. I laughed out loud, and it's not at them. It really feels like these people being like, we need you to know that you're on your fanciest boat and your fanciest dinner. We are in fucking control. Okay. Like we're on your boat. Like we are. (laughs) Yeah. We're falling trees behind you. Like you're not, we're not in your world. You are in our world. And yeah, all I'm going to do is play an instrument and you are going to freak the fuck out. Also their face paint. Really cool looking. Yeah. Really very cool looking both like all the different variations of it. That is such a cool style. But yeah, I think that the the movie takes such pains to show that these are three-dimensional people and that they have their own plans, they have their own lives, that even if they are um, upset by things they don't understand or they seem to agree to do things that aren't in their best interest, that if there is enough time, you will see they are acting in their self-interest. They're in control of the world in which they find themselves, and they have their own... It's, it's that having your own hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. That's why the guy at the station kind of bothers me, because it's like he is played as just like an accessory in someone's life. Right. That's not what these people are. They are not. People are the accessories. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. yeah, Like, cause like they, they bring that tree down. They stop the boat. They're in control. They take, they have a narrative within their culture and they create the narrative. Like they, those people are making their own movie and they're, they're trying to find their own answers to things. And so that's what I think keeps it from being, too racist that's not to say that there's not moments like right. you pointed out ryan where the camera holds them in such a way where you're like okay but because it, it is ultimately made by by silly white folks it, it feels like in in 82 and it's not excusing it but like i was like oh there's gonna be so much there's gonna be so much uncomfortable yeah. racism and then so when it i was, was like less than you thought interesting and especially like <laughs> the, because it going back to burn of dreams it 
he, like Fitz, doesn't seem to hold them in the highest of esteem. He's smashing tribes together that don't normally belong together. He doesn't really care that he's causing fights. He purposely talks about how he has to... There's a, a white folks village and uh, indigenous people's village because he doesn't want... He's like, well, we don't want to disrupt their way of life. But it felt like in that smarmy, super liberal in a gross way... Uh, like See, that's the thing. Performative. It's, it's not the depiction of them that is cringy in this particular movie. It's the expo- exploitation of them that is cringy. Yeah. So, like, the way they appear on screen, thumbs up. But right. the way that they got there, thumbs down. Because so, you literally exploited these people and endangered them in many ways. It's like thinking about uh, the man who will be king who, that had all this treatment of, you know, uh, the people of color in that movie. But when the director yelled cut, they would all go back to like these extremely great trailers. Right. And this movie is sort of the so reverse what, of that. So what's worse than ultimately right. Right? the thing that actually caused suffering or the thing that just contributes like, to people negative stereotypes left their families for, they were told three months and then it was like years. And then, so yeah. he brought in prostitutes cause he's like, they're going nuts. we got to keep them mellow somehow. Like, yeah. Right. You can't have, you just can't have a, a bunch of, you know, horny folks without any outlet. Let's talk about the, uh, the capitalism of it all, the the white dudes that are at home that um, I almost said Werner. It's Fitzcarraldo is trying <laughs> to talk to. There were times, I mean, uh, Herzog went back and back and back again to uh, people with money to say, please fund my movie. And they just kept saying, no, it's insane. <laughs> That's all in this movie for Fitzcarraldo. But uh, are, if the natives that are, or the indigenous people that are in this movie are not made jokes are the other richer white people yeah going to uh patrons will know squid game was talked about this week but it was almost like don aquilino and his gang are almost as absurd as the white folks in squid game who are betting on the people Uh who are going to die and because don aquilino i think is the one who's just like that precious feeling of losing money it's ecstasy and means (laughs) it and he's like you might go bankrupt Mm," and you can feel him getting hard like and this the same character who who bankrolls most of the Fitz's trip is also the one he is shown to be like openly grossly racist when he they're talking about rubber trees and stuff and they're going through and he's giving him a little tour and he's walking around on what what is it when it's like four dudes carrying him like a litter litter a litter and like so I think it's that character exists I'm sure Herzog wants to say some other stuff but to be like see Fitzcarraldo isn't that bad he's not this guy oh yeah I definitely agree that like. Part of the reason that they're in the movie is so you root for Fitzcarraldo more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he actually creates things because, yeah, he has the dreams. He's willing to put it all on the line. And also that guy, even though he fetishizes losing money, the whole thing he's doing is he's going to rip Fitzcarraldo off. And then he does successfully do that. So all he talks about is how much he loves to lose money. Well, that's really a cover just for. Yeah. I mean, you know what's better than like that feeling of losing money? Making somebody else to lose money. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, you know, honestly. That is, I think, a very true thing. When you have the amount of money that was being generated from these rubber plantations, that amount of money, all you can do, you can't spend it. All you can do is lose it. Right. Like, it's just, there's too much of it, really. Like, you you have to feed it to fish and put it on failed expeditions. I mean, like, that's Work. like, how does somebody that rich have a gambling problem? It's because they're not gambling in the same way I do, which right. is uh, penny slots at, in Vegas so I can get free drinks. You know, like, <laughs> in order for there to be a thrill, it's, you know... Te- it's still always going to be one to five or ten percent of right. your worth. That's what gives you that thrill. 
And yeah. I think that, for truthfully, for a lot of people, gambling is the joy of losing money. So I think yes. there's a little bit of truth to it, too. Like, if you keep winning at gambling, most people keep playing. They only stop once they've lost right. everything. So that's obviously what the draw is, is to just have money, not have power over you, to just be, like, prodigal with it and just to get it away from you. So I guess in that way, it kind of mirrors how a lot of people treat money. All right, gentlemen, last chance to earn points before the next time you're allowed to earn points. It's speed round time. Uh, First question. uh, Let me just start with this before I get into the big question. Opera. Worst art ever? Like, I've lived my entire life being told that if you're highbrow, you like opera. We This movie is bookended by, I would say, 10 minutes of watching opera. And although I've never seen it live... Can I just say I hate it and always will? I think a big part of it is not understanding the languages it's sung in or like the languages. No, no, it's it's sung in the language of feeling, Mike. You don't have to understand the it's language. It's dumb as hell, man. <laughs> like, I know the term aria, but like, it feels like you have Mike. to study so fucking hard to understand why it matters. And I like soap operas, but I do not like <laughs> unsoaped operas. It has been said that you either like get opera or you don't. And I I believe that because I like a lot of highfalutin things. I enjoy classical music, but I cannot get into opera. And I couldn't decide whether or not not liking opera or liking opera was a better way to approach this movie. <laughs> like, do you get it more if you love opera or do you get it more if you're kind of like, opera's not really that big a deal? I, I just didn't put his love of opera and trying to get other people into it felt like my love of fucking Arrow. Like, that's how I had it, like, understand. <laughs> it was like, here's a thing that other people just nod their head when I talk but about it. aren't people allowed to not like Arrow in your presence? Because it honestly felt like you were not allowed to say right. that opera is not the most important thing in this guy's presence. Or, you know, if you say that around Fraser and Niles, they automatically <laughs> judge you. He's <laughs> uh, become a real Maris. But th- our introduction to Fitzcarraldo is... I don't like opera. I don't understand why it's so highfalutin. But the look in his eyes when he told that usher at the opera house after he had been in a boat for days trying to get to see the singer, I am going to see this opera. That I mean, that's a good yeah. introduction. You, like, you know that like this person is passionate about his, his hands beliefs. Are bleeding. And, and he's going to so get hard. shit done. And if Mike came up to me and I was like trying to keep him from watching Arrow, he would look that same way. <laughs> and it's more, it's more than that. As an effective scene, it's a little bit more than that because his mania the guard sees it and the guard responds to it and he's like i want to see fitzcarraldo i'm standing right outside this theater and i decide who gets to come in and see him or not see him and i haven't seen him and so they all go in together and that tells you everything you need to know about fitzcarraldo as a person and his effect on other people Mm -hmm. just in that little very brief opening scene and i love how the movie did something that most movies don't do, which is point out how much f- somebody fucking stinks. That Fitzgeraldo smells bad constantly. Yeah, oh yeah. And for when sure. he walks in that opera house, uh, everyone turns around and looks, and it's because his white suit or whatever smells like shit. Yeah, absolute shit. Uh, can opera stand in here for movies, TV, or art in general? Like, do, were you guys able to, if it's Arrow for Mike or classical music for Greg <laughs> or a different kind of opera for Greg? Because of how highfalutin it is. <laughs> Does it just work automatically where you're like, well, I don't love opera, but I can swap this in? Yeah. I I, th- I think it's this passion for this art that that is so overpowering. Like, I don't think I've felt this way since I was like 15 because then your soul kind of dies and Fitz just hasn't. I think it's insane to want to build an opera house in the middle of jungle where nobody lives and nobody really wants it. But th- that passion, I think it, passion is universal, right. right? His just happens to be opera. I mean, even if you didn't know 
about the making of this movie. Couldn't you have sort of at least subconsciously told right there? Like, mm-hmm. oh, Herzog thinks about making this movie like Fitzcarraldo thinks about opera. I get it. I have to say, mine is reading, and reading is so easy now. Like, it's so easy to get books. It's so easy to get, you know, files and stuff like that. But, um, like, computer files. But imagine, like, a time right after the printing press had been developed and or, like, where they were first becoming, like, I don't know, available on some level. Like, I could see going through some extreme thing to try to get books you know mm-hmm. to try to get printed material and, and so i guess convincing I, somebody like hey you're keeping me from books i yeah. need books so bad i'm going to convince you to let me in and get those books imagine like early life in the american colonies and being like you know there's not a printing press over here we don't freaking have any books at all besides the bible which again read it been there but like uh so then i then i could feel that like right i'm mm-hmm. i'm kind of divided from that because now books are so easy to get but I would go crazy without them, and I guess that's how he feels about opera. Brag. Riverboat movies are almost a genre unto themselves. How does this live up to that proud tradition of riverboat films? You know, this might be just at least a little better than, like, Maverick? Maverick. I was just going to say Maverick. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the top two, though, right? Well, I was I, man, or the the Jungle Cruise, which just came out. But also, there's the what a dog shit movie that was. Brag. I have to say the death on the Nile. Yeah, <laughs> the what he did here by putting all his chips in the middle of the table and being like, "No, I'm going to go onto a river and we're actually going to film it like for real." That was a huge advantage. I have to say because every like I remember the scenes in Dos Boat right. where they would be like up in the con tower and suddenly it was like they went from being in this re- very realistic shot inside. Oh, hey, the Universal sub. Studios. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you're just standing there and like someone throws a bucket of water in your face. <laughs> you're like, whoa. So the the that versus no, dude. Like the river's right out there. Yeah. That's the Amazon, y'all. Like it's right there. It's right in the back. Honestly, just as crazy as uh, maybe not just as crazy, but just as crazy as them mo- actually literally moving the boat up the mountain is that there were no drones. At yeah. This time, and they still got those fucking shots of the Amazon jungle. That's How? crazy. And so that, I think, ultimately makes it the best of these river movies. And finally, how nice is it to hear an Irish brogue? Okay, that cat was supposed to be Irish, right? Everyone kept talking about, I am the most Irish man you've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> my mother is from the Blarney Stone, and we must listen to opera. It's in my Irish blood. I love it too much. And Irish just, people love opera. By the <laughs> way, and again, as I brought up earlier... They overdubbed all these voices, y'all. They could have at least tried to. Let's have opera up in the forest, shall we? With all the leprechauns. You know, Mel Blanc, the guy who did all the Looney Tunes voices, was yeah, still alive. Why not just have him do all of them? Man, why not? He'd give you a little bit of that twang, right? Yeah. He could and do I that bet twang. we'd see a sexy Bugs Bunny somewhere in here. Fitzcarraldo won Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival and no Oscars. How many awards will it win tonight? Probably all of them. Let's take a break. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpotfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer. 
which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! All right, gentlemen, Fitzcarraldo, about to get some awards. If it loses any of these five awards, I'm going to be very it's disappointed harsh, yeah. in the movie. It's harsh. Like, that's, a, that's a bummer. And the man, Fitzcarraldo, would be very upset. He built that boat and sailed it down that river to get five awards. And we're going to give them to him. The first one is time you most related to Fitz. Greg, what was the time you most related to Fitz? Okay, so uh, Fitzcarraldo's special move, and we're probably going to talk about this again in a second, is um, bust out some opera. Like, when the chips are down, bust out some opera, right? Uh, the first time we see him do it is he goes to a party that he's, like, barely invited to, <laughs> but there's a lot of rich folks there, and he's going to, like, spread the, the gospel of opera. So he puts on some opera, and it's not enough for him that people listen to the opera People around him are talking, and so he keeps looking and then doing these little hand motions like, guys, guys, let's get the conversation down. There's opera on. And I felt so much that, like, hey, I've got the aux cable and I put something on, so why doesn't everybody listen to it? And that nervousness of, like, nobody wants to hear this, dude. <laughs> nobody wants to hear this, but he's going to try to get through it because he's Fitzcarraldo. It will inspire you to stop talking if you just listen long enough. And somebody starts a conversation, you're just like, oh, oh, bud, oh, no, no. No, there's no, opera. We're, we're listening to this right now. Got a little bit of opera yeah, on right now. Yeah, we got this. That's a pretty good one. It's, That's Greg as fuck, Mike. What do you it's got? A, it's a very relatable one uh, where you, you're like, you don't know the rules that I haven't told you? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you're the you're the lowest ranking person at this party. There's no way you can put on music and make people stop talking, but that's what I want to do. I want everyone to stop talking to listen to opera, which, like, it's not a three-minute song. Right. It's going to be long. It's 45 And minutes. boring, like we talked about how opera is. Also, I love that part because hopefully, Mike, I'm not stealing yours, but... um. They kick him out, and he's like, no, fuck you. You can't kick me out. I'm leaving. But also, I have to come back and get all of the pieces. <laughs> of I got to grab my Victoriola, dude. Hold on. Time out. I do have to grab every part of this. Uh, it's my I, only I one. I think there's a lot. Uh, mine, I'm going to say the end where I guess you could say he got a win. He got an opera on the riverboat, but it's to be so self-deluding after you've lost magnificently to be like, no, this is the win. This is what I actually meant. I felt that very emotionally. Like, okay, it's not what I wanted, but I'm doing this. Right, guys? He's literally <laughs> right back where he started. Like, he's gone in a big circle. He no longer owns the boat. Like, and so nothing has really changed. We didn't talk about the last five minutes. So, basically, what he's done is he said, all right, I'll just throw a choir and a band on my boat. And that will count as what I was trying to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then smokes a cigar for six minutes of footage. <laughs> And he looks very satisfied, but like, not like he's not going to open up an opera house. No. That was his goal. This is just one small Move performance. Move the goal lines. Uh, yeah, for and sure. And it sounds dude. like he's behind it. Like th there are actors that there's like a parapet, but that he's behind the performance. Like it's even <laughs> in his winning, he's losing. And uh, you know, I feel that this is a hard one because I don't know because it's time you yeah. guys most. <laughs> yeah. So I have to try and figure that out. I, I'm going to go with Greg on this one. Whew, He's so annoying when he talks. Greg <laughs> is, that, uh, I think it has to be this one. Mike. Yes. The moment where you wished Fitzcarraldo, instead of playing fucking opera, played some sweet new metal out of that fucking, what's it called? The 
Victrola? Victrola. Victrola of his. It's the record player that like has the little horn, the brass horn. Yeah, the on RCA it. speaker with yeah, the dog. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good look. I have to say, like, obviously very inefficient or whatever, but such a good look. I think it's uh, when they're. Can't and re- I need to know from both of you which new metal band or song is playing when you choose the moment. It's when they're, they're like actually doing it. The boat's going up the fucking mountain, and they're like, "No, no, no, wait, we fucked up." I was like, "Oh, somebody's about to get hurt," and he runs and put it. If uh, trapped headstrong. Is what he threw on right there. <laughs> I think it would be flawless. Now, would this go from uh, like in the world of the film to then on the film soundtrack? Like it starts off just like headstrong, yeah. take you on, and then all of a sudden it's just bouncing in like as the film soundtrack. Exactly. Diegetic. Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald was headstrong, and he would take on anyone. Like that's very true. And also, he was trapped. And then later in that song, goes the circling and circling, and the the boat will do that. Now, Mike, that is a diehard Trump band. You want to keep going with that? I mean, it's new metal, Ryan. Aren't they all? It's a good point, Greg. What do we got? Okay, so I don't even know if this counts as new metal, but it. As soon as I put it, this is the uh, this is the song I couldn't stop thinking of because. The Alien Ant Farm's uh, Smooth Criminal has uh-huh. been like blowing up uh, Twitter All over again. Twitter. I guess people forgot about it. I was like 20 in 2001 or whatever, so like uh, I was very much aware of that song. But Twitter just seems to refound it, and so I imagine. Uh, you know what it is? It's probably reclaiming Michael Jackson's music. Like we like this band better, <laughs> and we can still enjoy Michael Jackson without. Anyway, keep going. And so I imagine Alien Ant Farm's Smooth Criminal. He puts that on to like to play off into the jungle when he first encounters <laughs> the native tribes and to like soothe them and to not get killed. Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Do Annie? all the natives start like leaning sort yeah. of? Uh-huh. Way? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh yeah, Greg, that's a good moment, but uh, I think Mike's clear yeah. version of new metal. Plus the the moment will get him Mike. the point there. Uh, Greg, cringiest moment. This is a hard one. This is a hard one, but I will tell. This is just a one hundred percent true story. And when you really, literally cringe during a movie, you should bring it up. Uh, when it becomes clear that they are going to try to drag this boat up a mountain, uh, it starts to kind of work, and then it goes back and it just crushes somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that exact moment that I was like, "Oh shit." what went into making this fucking movie? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, cause I realized like, Oh, this is probably something that kind of really did happen. Like if not this exactly, then something like this. I mean, because we don't know the order of events, somebody dying on the set. Yeah. Herzog could have been like, we should do this in the movie. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. And so is he the kind of sick bastard who would just film it and be like, we have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm sure the guy was just acting in the part the part that they filmed, but he really did seem to be in distress. And it, it really, at that moment, I realized how much must be true about this movie that later I went and found out was true, that I was like, okay, he really filmed this in the jungle. I can tell that. I wonder if he really dragged this thing up here. I wonder if people really got hurt. And it all kind of cascaded onto me and then began a process of looking all that stuff up. So everything I have issue with in the movie happened in that mm-hmm. moment. And so that, that that's when I cringed. Wait, have we talked about Vic Morrow tonight? I don't think What's so. It? Okay, it's been a uh, it's been at least an episode since we talked about Big Morrow, who was uh, in the Twilight Zone, the movie, and oh. you see his death in the movie. That's oh, the, hel- yeah. the helicopter, right? Who's that? Is that, that John Landis who killed him? That's John Landis who killed him, who was driving the helicopter at the time, uh, his, and jumps out right the last second, so he's fine. His daughter, anybody know? 
Vic Morrow's daughter? Jennifer Jason Lee from Fast Time. Wow. Makes you think. All right, Mike, what <laughs> do you got? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is it is that moment, but it's also knowing, and I, I, if this is cheating, it's uh, in Burden of Dreams, the engineer quits at, because of this scene and says there's a 30% chance of it working. 70. Oh, you're right. I'm no, sorry. No, 30% <laughs> chance of it working. And that 20 or 30 people will die when it does not work. And that Herzog goes, oh, you quit over that? I'm still doing it. And that the, so everything we see of them pushing those tree things, they, there, there is also like a caterpillar uh, machine helping, but that they were also doing real work there. And somebody's job is to lay under their feet that they have to step over to make sure the tree isn't falling out of the hole they dug. So what the fuck? <laughs> Let me tell Holy you, Warney, um, when there's a 70% chance of somebody dying or it not working and then your engineer quits, that does not up the chance of it working. No. Like, and he's still like, no, we're doing it. Let's let's do it. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, I'm going to call that one a tie. You guys are Mike. both right. This, this is the cringiest part for sure. In a, in a film full of cringy moments that I think are, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, mostly uh, intentional. This is uh, awful stuff to watch. It also was based on the color of blood. The, this is the most 1975 movie yeah. that we're going to watch. This has that right? like ultra weird red blood from the 70s. You're totally the right. whole movie, like the pacing, the look of the film, mm-hmm. it, it it feels 75 as fuck. But and in then, part, in part, that's because they were making this movie yeah, forever. That's when right? it started. That's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, pound for pound performance. I mean, we we talked about it an entire get segment. cute, Mike. We were supposed to talk about other people and just kind of didn't. Uh, I think I'm going to talk about the cutie himself. Klaus Kinski. <laughs> uh, I, I think he is undeniable. Yeah, undeniable is a, is a good way to put it. Like, it, again, it's got enough of that edge to it where you're like, am I enjoying this? And when you decide that you are, you're extra hooked because for a second it was a little off-putting. He, uh, Werner Herzog, for some reason, made a legacy sequel 25 years after the first one called Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. And cast Nicolas Cage. Is Nicolas Cage our generation's Klaus yes. Kinski? Wow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just like he just... Klaus Kinski died. So Herzog was like, who is the next one? I will find him. <laughs> Give me I your like eyes. <laughs> Bring me one of the bears from Grizzly Man. No, <laughs> Nicolas Cage. All right. Uh, Greg, who you got? Is it the same person? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to get cute with it? I can we can I say runner up? Like if there wasn't clearly You know what? We're just doing this on runner up. This is brought to you by Kinski. Okay, the first. guy that played the freaking cook, dude. Yeah. Like for a cook, dude was serving. Okay. Like he was doing such a good job. I was so into it. I loved him. I didn't even care that he didn't even accidentally sync up his lines to his mouth moving one time. <laughs> there was never a time where the a voice was coming out of this character where his mouth was also moving. And there was never a time when his mouth was moving where the actual sound was coming out. But even with that, he's like almost as engrossing, almost as undeniable. We should have had a rule that was favorite uh, subtitle versus spoken line. Yes. <laughs> and mine is about the cook. And uh, as Klaus Kinski, as Fitzcarraldo is saying... Uh, you're the best sailor. The subtitle is, you're my favorite drunkard. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite difference between the subtitle was uh, the cook walks up and says, um, 
yeah, like I'm not the best, but I, I know what you're doing. And that's why he hires him. They don't translate that line the same way in the, the audio. But basically what the cook says is, I can tell what your plan is. And that's a big part of the reason why he hires him, because he doesn't want anybody to know, including the audience. Even the audience doesn't know what the plan is at this point. And so I just think that's a di- an interesting difference between what oh, we yeah. hear and what you can read in the subtitles. It's so crazy that in the same season we had Fitzcarraldo and Das Boot. Like, yeah, I'm so glad we got to watch. These we movies saw some great shots of engines. <laughs> like if you just love watching a piston fire, oh. this is the year for you. I, I, I loved. We call them natives. I loved. Like, that's gross. <laughs> Engine Joe is my favorite. Uh, I loved watching Das Boot because now I got what that guy's job was. Cholo's job was on this. I would be, have been more confused had we not seen Das Boot. Just hit the motor with a wrench. Just hit it with a wrench. And I'm like, yeah, that's work. <laughs> You're the mechanic. Is Cholo your pick, Mike, or are you picking the cook as no, well? No, it's the cook, and I think just Cholo's, you know, a quieter role, but the cook, he also right. serves as the main right. translator, and he he lives between the worlds of he is not from this tribe, but he understands their language. He tries to, mm-hmm. sometimes his translating of their actions is accurate, sometimes it is not. He has his own prejudices, but he's trying to play every team, and it, it makes him a very interesting character to watch. But, and like, I do think that... Uh, he has his wants and needs, yeah. right? Like nobody molests these two young girls. He shows up with two girlfriends, and it's there's no doubt what they are right away. He's yeah. like, "These are my ladies. They're also I coming." Cannot do my job without them. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like I can't cook without these ladies to well, also you want me rub to cook sometimes? with full balls. I don't think so. <laughs> but also, he's the one who's there. Like Mike, you were saying, like no, if you use dynamite. That's gonna be bad, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's like vital shit. Like that is vital information. A perfect uh, time is when they're when the 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 tribe has come back and they're just standing there motionless, and he's like, "Oh, they think they're invisible." Like uh-huh. I needed that moment right then. He's like, "This is a thing they do." What's funny about that is when they are like that, and you are on the river, and they are in the woods, they are invisible. Yes. Like they're right about it. If they're yeah. standing in the woods, very so, different. Like, if they may not be at this moment. Them. All right, and the final award will go to Greg, the director's signature moment. I don't know how much Herzog you've watched. For me, it's been mostly documentaries, which is a very different thing. Sort of. It's still fucking nature, man, right? Yeah. What so, do you got? Um, I think there are a lot of iconic shots in this, but for, for me, the moment where I was like, you bastard, you really did something here, it's when they get to the part where they're going to um, haul the place where they're going to haul the boat over. And then they're like, you can't see it. Can you let's go to this platform. And then they climb up on top of this platform. And then there's obviously a helicopter shot uh, of like spinning around above the platform. And you just see the vastness Mm -hmm. of the jungle and the smallness of man versus the vastness of the jungle. And just the, um, how audacious, audacious the shot is, how beautiful the shot is and the vertiginous nature of it, where you are spinning and you are a little bit dizzy. I just felt like, man, the whole movie is in this one little shot here. And I was just, I was so impressed. And you're so fucked. Like, <laughs> your richness does not mean anything mm-hmm. anymore. You know, like, this yeah. is, now it's time for nature to play. You nature are in cares the not wild. for your plans. Yeah, yeah. Like, you are in the absolute wild. You are at the mercy of forces that you can't comprehend. I, I think because of what we know of Herzog, that mine is a very similar emotion. It, but it's the boat just actually smashing against the rocks and that they are... Real human beings still on that boat. It's not a track. It's not safe at Universal Studios like we talked about. They just went, look, we're going to do the thing that kills people probably in the movie, but we're going to do it. All right, everybody cool yeah. with that? Let's go. <laughs> like, and they're This like, seems we'll dangerous. Let's just do it. Let's just legends. keep filming everything. <laughs> this one is so close. You guys did a good job. I think I'm going to go with a slight edge for Greg just because Greg. 
for takenessness. Yeah, when he said that, <laughs> that I was like, shit. He he used that word that Mike still can't say. <laughs> but um, that is so like in while you're watching the movie, you know, I had to like I had to do more research to figure out what Mike's talking mm. about, and that is director as fuck. That's Herzog as fuck. But slight edge to Greg. All right, guys, you just watched Fitzcarraldo. Where are we going now, Mike? Recommendation? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, recommendation. I, I think we, we've talked about it the whole time, and I can't not recommend this. Uh, it's Burden of Dreams. If you want an even fuller experience. And that is mine as well. You should Mike. watch this. Uh, and it, it's just, I would say, you're like, I don't have two hours and 40 minutes. Watch Burden of Dreams, and then you will have to go watch Fitzcarraldo. They, they are a, a mate. Greg? Um, I'm going to cross media here, uh, but it's hard to imagine this existing without this. What I assume is at least partially the source material. Um, a, a absolute classic. The ride, the Jungle Cruise at <laughs> Disneyland. Um, you go across major rivers on every continent. Um, right. you get to see peoples from all around the world. Uh, it's taught me about hippos. It's taught me about the other side of water. Um, I haven't been on this ride in, in three years. I am, unfortunately, uh, not really a Disney adult, but I am an adult who is a fan of Disney. And Disney I adult. could not stop thinking about the ride, The Jungle Cruise, while watching this movie, which I guess is kind of about the same thing. I don't know, but I the honestly, of man the whole versus time, nature. Yeah, I think. Right? Yeah. You know, like you, you, when you leave to go on The Jungle Cruise, like you see the world one way. But when you come back, like, you have been places, you have seen things, you have supped from the cup of actual life, and you have been changed. And so, I just, if you haven't had a chance to go on the Jungle Cruise, please do. Do you think at the Hollywood, what's the Hollywood land in Florida? Something like that, right? Yeah, Hollywood Studios. Oh, or, yeah, Disney Hollywood Studios. Do you think they should change the name of the ride to something like Fitzcarraldo's Fun Boat Doozy? Yeah. I think they should call it Fitzcarraldo, colon, you gotta let somebody love you. <laughs> <laughs> one size fits Corraldo. <laughs> Mike, you got anything? I'm out. Bro, All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Fitz we're going to see who. Raldo. We're going to see who won Break. this episode of Fitz Corraldo. All right, gentlemen. This movie is sort of fucked. Every year, this year we have two boat movies and boat movies are traditionally fucked on movie of the year but uh period pieces are typically fucked although does this one have a chance because it does tell us more about 1982 than we thought it would well it does do that because man the futility of man but i think what fucks it harder is what you said earlier ryan of how 1975 this feels Mm -hmm. and because it started then nothing fucked on two accounts nothing about this feels 82 not really yeah. Would you prefer a uh, director named Herner Verzog, who hates nurture? Yes. <laughs> it just always attacks his <laughs> parents. can't stop arguing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I was blown away. Um, a lot to think about, a lot to wrestle with. But I guess ultimately I feel like it's going to be a tough sell for movie of the year. But um, the whole point of the show really is to determine movie of the year, but the secondary point is to just watch like really great movies from every year at the same time and see what we can glean from them. And it wouldn't have been half the season it will be without without this movie. Like this was so glad to have seen it, but I just it's not that it has no chance. I just 
I don't think it has a realistic chance. You know it what chance it does have? Like the way that it really affected stuff, and maybe this is for better or for worse. But I also think that like as the three of us continue on, and one, two, or three of us experience new experiences, it affects all brackets in the future. Uh huh. So like if yeah. we get to the year that uh, Bad Lieutenant Colon Port of uh, Call New Orleans, whatever it's called, comes out, we'll be like, oh no, 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 He's oh on. yeah, that's yeah, all. you know, the that's a good point because will be felt, For and then sure. that movie might take it from there, becoming whatever year, the movie of the year from whatever year that is. It's after Katrina. It's about Katrina. So oh, so it's a period. Two thousand six, two thousand seven. You predicted it's- it. All right, gentlemen, this was a competition. You two have been the best of friends this entire show, but it's now time for me to take over, make you enemies, and make one of you the best of friends with me. Mike, you scored 29 points in a Ryan-hosted show. Does that seem like a lot? That I mean, for this era, yeah, that's that's good. That's pretty healthy. For the in Biden era, is that what you mean? This that's, Biden, for Joseph it's definitely with, Biden. It's within the respectable category for yeah. sure. I think last week Anything, we were both like at 21 and 19 or something. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. We both looked at each other like, hey. <laughs> Bad team performance there. This fucking host sucks. <laughs> uh, Greg, you scored 36. Woo! I knew. Whee! I knew off air. Yeah. Greg was like, I feel like it might be either of us. I was like, fucking Greg's got this clinch. I think they we're done calling him Greg, and it's just Greg's Corraldo from now on. Greg's Corraldo. And this podcast episode was your ship, and you got that shit up the mountain and down the mountain like a fucking Englishman. I did it. I, I did it. Well, Ryan, you're my best friend, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad we get to keep that relationship going. So and fuck Mike? And fuck Mike. Sorry, Mike. I have to say, my best friend said it. I have I to know. agree with that. I know how best friend rules work. I'm fat, so I burp and fart. That yeah. has been the show. Is there anything else we need to do? Uh, no. We have to talk about all the exciting upcoming shows. We're doing... John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, we saw both the scary movies. And Poltergeist. Let's give Greg just a horrible two weeks and make him watch it back to back. (laughs) I'm so stressed out, too. Nothing scares Greg more, though, than uh, colonizing white people. So this movie was also a fucking shit show for him. Uh, Yeah, but like this is... uh, I'm so glad that we got to watch this movie. I'm so glad that I didn't have to watch this movie alone and not talk to anybody about it, but I had the two of you. And if you're listening and you're on the fence about seeing it and you looked at the you looked at the runtime and it's like two hours 40 minutes commit like honestly yeah. do it like it'll be worth it and if you have seen it but you were upset because you didn't have anybody to talk to and then you just listened to this episode you did it you just talked to the three of us and, and good job to you if you tweeted us we'll tweet back let's fucking do this online guys mm, i don't know about that the, uh, we'll the, have well, it'll be our intern i'm not saying if you're a, one of if us you're a patreon fucking... pay pig then we might tweet yo back. we, we talk to the pay pigs all the time <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, thank you, gentlemen, for all of this. Stay tuned next week. We have so many great shows coming for you about 1982 for Mike, for Greg. I'm Ryan. And, of course, keep watching those movies.